0: From Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Seren. Hello, radio family. Welcome aboard. Welcome to the broadcast. Hope you'll be with us for the duration. Another great show coming your way. And uh, before we get started, just a couple of... some house cleaning, if you will. Yeah, house cleaning. You know, this past summer, I've been out on the road uh, filming uh, interviews uh, for the TV show. And I hope to have news for you soon about when you can see that, season three. Any, in any event, I have had the privilege of meeting some of the most amazing people. And uh, I was in L.A. for a week. Uh, and But earlier on this year, I was mainly sort of in southwestern Ontario. And the gentleman you're about to meet was one of the people that I, I, I met and uh, spent several hours with him up at Redeemer College, which is in Ancaster, near Hamilton, Ontario. And this gentleman owns an exact replica of the Shroud of Turin. Long-time listeners to this program uh, will be aware that the Shroud happens to be one of my favorite topics. I, I have read more, probably read more books about the Shroud, interviewed more people about the Shroud uh, than just about anything else. And uh, it's just, to me, it's intriguing. If you don't know much about The Shroud, you're going to learn a lot about it tonight. And it's interesting. This is going to be a a different perspective because my guest tonight is a man of science. He's a biology professor, as I say, at Redeemer University College in Ancaster and a world-leading authority on science and faith and where they intersect. And as it relates to The Shroud of Turin, he's also the author of A Christian's Guide to Defeating Evolution, a Biological Approach, and Rescuing Science from Preconceived Beliefs, Religious Beliefs at the Interface of Science and Faith. We're not here to debate a religion tonight. We're not here to debate evolution. We're here to examine the scientific evidence for and against what may be the most studied relic or artifact in human history. The Shroud of Turin. I hope you'll stay with us for the hour. And uh, let's say hello to Gary Chang. Hello, Gary. Welcome to The Conspiracy Show. How are you?
1: Hi, Richard. Can you hear me?
0: I can. Hey, ah, the, the, the miracle of Skype. And you, can, <laughs> and you can hear me as well.
1: Yes, y- I can. You're
0: sitting in your office at uh, Redeemer University College, are you?
1: Yes, I'm sitting in my office.
0: All right. And is the Shroud of Turin nearby? The, your exact uh, replica?
1: <laughs> it, it's close.
0: Uh, first of all, let's uh, assume that there may be uh, a number of people out there who don't know what this extraordinary piece of linen cloth is, what it looks like and what it's all about. Just uh, uh, tell us what it, what, it's suppo- what it might be.
1: Well, the Shroud of Turin is uh, actually an ancient linen cloth. It's about 14 feet long and only about three and a half feet wide. So it's about the size of a cloth that would cover a long, narrow table. This cloth is important to many people because of its claim to have covered the body of Christ as he lay dead in the tomb. This cloth is currently housed in a light-tight glass-enclosed case in the Cathedral of St. John the Baptist in the city of Turin, Italy. This city is known as Turin in the English-speaking world, but the Italians know it as Torino. The written history of the Shroud goes back to medieval Europe, and during most of its time, it was kept folded in a box or casket and was only brought out for public view every 10 to 50 years. Its last showing was actually in April and May of 2010, and at that time, over 2 million people paraded through the cathedral to have a three-minute glance at this ancient cloth.
0: Now, the the image on the Shroud is very faint, in fact, I yes. understand you have to stand back quite a ways in order to appreciate what's what the image actually re- looks like. Tell us That's about the right. tell us about the image on the shroud.
1: Well, the image, as you've mentioned and you've saw it in the replica I have, if you stand too close to it, you can't make it out. It's a very very faint image with uh, very little contrast. You have to stand back about uh, three feet to five feet to actually start to see what the image might look like. And what you see is a both the front and the back of a man. The front uh, face and the back of the head appear right in near the middle of the fabric, and then the bodies extend out. And so if this, in fact, was created by uh, the body of Christ as he lay in the tomb, then this cloth would have been laid out on the tomb, maybe on the slab or on the floor somehow. The body was then placed on one half of it, and then the other half of the cloth was gently placed over top of the body. And so the image on the shroud actually looks like a man, both the front and the back, laid out a longitudinally along that cloth.
0: And it it there also... Uh, on the image there are uh, there is evidence uh, that this was the victim of a Roman crucifixion, correct
1: exactly uh, everything about this image uh, is uh, well first of all, how the image got on the cloth, no one knows they've uh, tried many different techniques to tr- to create a very similar type of image and some people have gotten close but no one has actually been able to reproduce this image so if it were a fake and created in medieval Europe uh, it was done by a technology that nobody even today can reproduce but the but that's the question about how the image got on but what is more important is what the image tells us the image, as far as modern science can can go, with this image, this image is what the crucified person would have looked like if he were scourged, crucified ex- in the, exactly the same way Christ was crucified. Well,
0: let's let's so, talk a little bit about uh, uh, some of the evidence uh, that lends or suggests that the uh-huh. image uh, died as a result. Of a Roman crucifixion. First of all, we have yep. the scourge marks on the back. Yes. Now, tell me about about those scourge marks. What what do they? Why do we conclude that they must have been, um, must be there as a result of a Roman crucifixion?
1: Oh, because of the imprint that was left on the back. It was uh, an imprint that is exactly the same as a Roman flagon, which is a whip that has at the end of it. Uh, dumbbell shape um uh, metal pieces, or could may not have been metal, but hard pieces, that when a person is flogged or scourged with this, uh it actually digs out some of the flesh every time it hits you. And the mark that it has left on the back is exactly the same as the dumbbell shape of a Roman flagon.
0: And and how many floggings did this individual receive are we able to determine that
1: uh he probably received just one flogging uh with several whips of course uh but they do know it was done by two people because of the way the imprint of the marks are on the back and how many lashes you have to keep in mind that when it when these people whipped the person uh, you have marks on the back, but also you have marks on the front because the whips would have gone right around the body.
0: Interesting. In Interesting. How many lashes?
1: Oh, uh, that I don't know. Dozens? <laughs> but hundreds? It, it, now, they've... Um, uh, you can, right off the top of my head, I don't know exactly the number, but you can, by forensic evidence, actually say how many there are.
0: Right. So if this was a forgery, someone would have yeah. had to have... Um, uh, pretty good working knowledge of the Roman implements mm-hmm. uh, and also how, how they would have uh, yeah. impacted on the body.
1: Well, what's interesting about this is the question of it being a forgery. Uh, anyone who has actually looked at the shroud, no one who has actually looked at the shroud has said it's a forgery. The only people who have said it's a forgery are those people who have actually
0: refused to look at the Shroud. All right, Gary Chang is with us. Science meets religion here on The Conspiracy Show. The Shroud of Turin. We'll open up the phone lines, make them available to you a little bit later. Is this extraordinary piece of linen cloth a remarkable forgery, a medieval hoax, or is it, could it be, might it be... The actual burial cloth of Jesus Christ containing evidence of a resurrection event, you tell me. Back with more in a moment. Stay with us. Fasten your seatbelt and put your tray in the upright position. You're about to leave everything you know behind. On the Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Welcome back. Gary Chang is with us. We're talking about the Shroud of Turin. And before we get to back to that, let me just mention uh, you can follow me on uh, Twitter. Twitter.com forward slash Richard dot Twitter.com slash Richard Sarrett, S-Y-R-E-T-T. And I just wanted to acknowledge a tweet that I received, uh, from Western Canada. Raylene, um oh, back on August 29th actually, uh, said, uh, Western Canada. I love, um she, she, she tweets from Western Canada. And she says, um where are we here? Basically, she's saying, I hear you talk about how the show is heard from um, Thunder Bay to the Carolinas and from Maine to Minnesota, but you never talk about the West Coast. Don't we rate some sort of recognition? And um, I I tweeted back saying, well, when I say that, it's it's basically I'm describing the incredible footprint of Zoomer Radio. It's one of the largest in North America. And the signal from AM740, the flagship station, here uh, for my program uh, carries all the way from Thunder Bay Ontario into Quebec and all the way south to the Carolinas and from Maine to Minnesota uh, I, I love you uh, I love you out on the west coast and I know that you li- listen to the uh, the program on, on podcasts and uh, uh, live uh, webcasts and you, you watch the TV show uh, but the terrestrial radio signal unfortunately doesn't carry that far um, but hey if there are stations out in BC who'd love to carry you know carry the show I'd love to hear from you because um um, of course, of course, my West Coast listeners are important to me. So, if if you feel like I've neglected you, Mia um, culpa. I love you. Big hug to Lotus Land. Actually, she, uh, Raylene didn't stipulate where in the West Coast, uh, but um, uh, anyway, Raylene, I hope you're listening. And uh, thank you for listening. All right, back to the Shroud. Gary Chang is with us, biology professor at Redeemer University College in Ancaster, Ontario, world leading authority on science and faith as it relates to the Shroud of Turn, owns an exact replica. And, and Gary, it's interesting, the last two people uh, that I've talked to about the Shroud have been very credible people uh, from the world of science. There's, you know, you are a biology professor. Uh-huh. You you uh, you have published in peer-reviewed journals. Yes, you're yes. you're a biology professor. I I I recently spoke to uh, a medical doctor with a background in physiology who also believes that the shroud is authentic. Um, uh-huh. And as you say, even the even skeptics uh, won't come out and say that it's a it's a forgery. They're not quite. I mean, I spoke to a skeptic. Um, yeah. Someone from the Center for Inquiry, and even he admitted. He said, "This is a head scratcher. It's interesting, but uh, he didn't believe. He didn't believe it's authentic, but he couldn't, of course, because he's a materialist. That would lead right. him down the road to believe that if it is the burial cl- uh, cloth of Jesus Christ and it, and it contains evidence of a resurrection, therefore he yeah. was who we said he was, and mm-hmm. you know, on, on and on we go. Anyway, let's get back to the the actual uh, image on the shroud." Okay. And there's something else interesting. There's a there's a um, appears to be a large abdominal abdominal wound uh, yeah. under the rib cage. Well,
1: um, it's, so it, it's uh, in the rib cage, okay. but it flows down.
0: Yeah. And what can you tell us about that?
1: Well, that wound actually uh, appears to be to have been made by a spear that was plunged into the rib cage and uh, the wound actually has it coming from it, uh, blood stains, and uh, on the shroud itself, there is some blood, and they've now shown that it's real blood, and that the way the blood came out, it came out uh, the way the blood would from a body that was crucified the way Christ was, and that in all likelihood, it came out both uh, like water and blood, because it would then the the uh, serum, would have been separated slightly from the red blood cells.
0: Is that what and they call so, vascular bleeding? Yes. Yes. And that would indicate that the that the that the person was dead when the when the spear yeah. was okay. Yes.
1: Yes. Uh, another uh, interesting fact about the blood is that it has a rather uh, on the shroud itself the color is not quite what one would expect if you simply had some blood coagulating on a cloth.
0: No, it's not crimson. It's not uh, uh, right. it's it, not
1: well, it, it's it's thought that it should have turned a lot blacker. And on the um cloth, it's it's sort of more reddish brown than black. So in a sense it's retained its reddish color where uh it should not have done that. But uh they have more recently discovered that blood that has come from a body that was severely beaten that blood has in it a lot more waste products from red blood cells the bilirubin and the biliverdin and that inside the blood actually maintains the blood's color when the when the blood when the blood leaves the body and so they actually use that as forensic evidence that somebody had been badly beaten
0: Fascinating, fascinating. No,
1: that would have never been known by any forgery. Uh, I mean, that's only something that's been known in the last twenty years.
0: Interesting. Now, the other. Let me ask. Let me go back to the uh, the spear wound. Why is that significant? Uh, was that something particular to Roman crucifixions that they would do that?
1: Um, no, I don't believe it was. I believe that um, in this particular case. Uh, what is uh, particular to, or what is, was customary with Roman crucifixions is that the person, when they died of be, by being crucified, they essentially died from suffocating. They could not breathe, and that's how they died. And so when, uh, well, now you have to recall the account of Christ, there was two others being uh, crucified with him. And they had to get rid of the bodies off the cross because the next day was going to be holy. So these these people had to die. They weren't allowed to hang around for the next two or three days, like often happens with crucifixions. And so they went out and broke the legs of the two individuals being crucified with Christ so that they would suffocate. But when they went to break the legs of Christ, he was already dead. And that sort of surprised them. Why would he have died so soon? And so what they did to prove that he was dead was to actually put a spear into his side, and out came the water and blood, which clearly shows that uh, he had given up the light, uh, his ghost.
0: And the the, the legs on the image were not broken.
1: The legs are not broken.
0: So again, consistent with the biblical account of Christ's crucifixion. Yes, yes. We should also point out, obviously, in a crucifixion, the... The, uh, the feet and the hands are pierced with a nail that are driven into the cross. Tell me about the wounds on... They're, they're not on the palms of the hands, they're in the wrists.
1: They are in the wrists, and, and that has always been a problem since the shroud was first, first known in, in modern times. Uh, artists uh, have always depicted the uh, nails going right through the palms, but if you actually nail a body to the cross through the palms, uh, there's no support there. It's simply flesh and the body would just slide right off the cross. Uh, you actually have to put the, uh, the nail through the wrists. And this was discovered years ago by a fellow named Barbette, a French, uh, surgeon and also anatomist who, uh, studied the Image of the Shroud, back in 1933. He got pictures of the uh, image at that time. And that always puzzled him as well. Why would the nails not be through the palms, but through the wrists? And he was actually doing autopsies, and he decided to actually put a nail <laughs> through some of these uh, bodies that he was able, that he had access to. And he was the one who showed that if you put it through the palm, there wasn't enough uh support there to hold the body to the cross. But you can actually slide the um, there's a name for the actual uh channel in the wrist and, and it's not the carpal tunnel, but there's a there's a, a channel there that you can actually put a uh, nail through and that would hold the body. And another thing he noticed is that when he put the nail through and now he would have dealt with people who had recently died and so there they were some parts of the body would still be living when he put the nail through the wrist he immediately saw that the thumb went and went underneath it went towards the palm
0: because you you agitate that median nerve That's right you agitate
1: that nerve and he people didn't know this until he did this And when he looked at these pictures, if you look at the picture of the wrists and the hands, the thumb is not visible. It's tucked in underneath the hand.
0: Because the nerve had been agitated. Because the
1: nerve was agitated. Now some people say it can't be Christ because it's supposed to be put through the palm, but you have to keep in mind that this was not written in English. This was written in Greek or Hebrew. And at that time, a hand was anything at the end of the arm. So the wrist certainly fits in the proper anatomical
0: place. So again, here we have uh, the the wounds, the injuries, sustained by this image on the shroud, mm-hmm. lining up with the biblical account of the crucifixion.
1: And also lining up which with which, what we know now to be forensic
0: science. Now, I've... I've been told by some skeptics that they're convinced that the image was painted on. Is there not some evidence of remnants of paint on the linen cloth?
1: Well, first of all, uh, for those skeptics, and there are a lot of them, these are the skeptics who refuse to look at the image itself. Uh, One of the famous skeptics is Walter McCrone who got a piece of fabric back in 1978, a very, very tiny piece, and he said there was paint on it. And from that, he insisted that the entire image was a painting. He could not be more wrong. But there are a lot of people who still faithfully believe that Walter McCrone was right. Walter McCrone never looked at the shroud himself. He never looked at the image If there's paint on the shroud, and there should be paint on the shroud, because people used to paint copies of the shroud, and before the painting dried, they used to apply it against the the real shroud. So there's going to be paint on the cloth, but there's no paint associated with the image on the cloth. People have known this for centuries. This is not a painting. There's no paint mark. There's no paint associated with the image whatsoever.
0: The um, the photograph that was taken at the turn of the of the 19th yeah. century by uh, photographer Seconda Pia That's right. revealed yes. something about the shroud for the first time. Tell me about that.
1: Well, um, he was the um, well, he took the first picture back in 1898. The uh, shroud was being brought out for a uh, exhibit, uh, or to, was to be exhibited during a festive event. And so he wanted to take a picture of it. Uh, he didn't know what to expect when he took a picture of it, but he was a fairly um, um, experienced photographer. And he did all his own uh, plates, all his own film, all his own developing. Because at that time, essentially, the only, only people who could do photography were the people who were amateurs. Um, and what he did, it took him a, a couple of tries, but he managed to get a picture of the trout. And then he took the picture which was on his negative in his camera and he took it to his dark room and he knew that if from his experience he knew that when he developed that film he would see on the film what's called a negative where the white is reversed with the black because that and then you take a picture of the negative to get back to the positive from his experience he knew that what he saw on his negative would be less comprehensible than the real thing it's not it's not the, what's called the positive, but what he observed develop in his negative was a picture which was actually a positive. He now saw what the man of the shroud really looked like, and he knew at that moment that there was no way this could have been created by anything any human being. It was created by a type of photographic technique that was unknown
0: until the mid-1800s. So if he ends up with a positive image on his negative film plate, that means that the image on the shroud would have to be a negative image.
1: Would have to be a negative. That's right. And so something put scorch, like like the uh, light will scorch a uh, the film something about the body scorched a negative image
0: on the cloth but wait, there's more, much more it gets better folks stay with us as we discuss The Shroud of Turin Gary Chang, biology professor stays with us here on The Conspiracy Show hope you'll do the same This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. To reach Richard, call 416-360-0740. Welcome back. Next week on the show, as we approach the... uh, Let me see now. The the 11th anniversary of the uh, September 11, 2001 terrorist attacks. I will welcome Philip Marshall uh, to The Conspiracy Show. Philip is a former commercial airline pilot. And uh, also... Uh, did some uh, flying for some CIA covert operations. He is the author of a book called The Big Bamboozle, 9-11 and the War on Terror, and will connect some pretty amazing dots which lead to the Saudi royal family. Uh So stay tuned for that. That's uh, coming up next week on The Conspiracy Show. In the second hour of that show, uh we'll meet a couple of impressive Bigfoot trackers, one of whom is a uh, former Green Beret Vietnam veteran. You will not believe their... Close Encounters with Bigfoot and some of the some of the qualities that they attribute to this legendary creature, some call Sasquatch. That's, uh, as I say, next week. That's Sunday, September 9th. Hope you'll be along for that ride, and we've got a good show for you going right now. Doctor or Professor Gary Chang is a biology professor at Redeemer University College in Ancaster. He's a world-leading authority on science and faith as it relates to the Shroud of Turin. And uh, the author of Rescuing Science from Preconceived Beliefs and A Christian's Guide to Defeating Evolution: A Biological Approach. Let me just uh, step away from the uh, the linen cloth for a minute, uh, okay. uh, Professor Chang, and ask you, as a scientist, how yeah. did you get involved in, in in researching the shroud? And was there an aha moment for you when you yourself concluded this is the actual uh, the, this is the authentic burial cloth of Jesus Christ?
1: Well. Um I did not hear about the Shroud until I actually started working here at Redeemer about 20 years ago. And it was happened to be somebody who was visiting Redeemer, a, a person by the name of Thaddeus Tran, who gave a talk about the Shroud. And in 1990-91 when this happened, this was after the Shroud was uh, so supposedly uh, proven to be a fake because of the Carbon-14 dating. And he was saying that there were some problems with the carbon-14 dating, and he still believed it wasn't a fake. But that was the first time he even heard of a death cloth covering Christ. And actually, there are many Protestants who have never heard of this. This is uh, considered to be a Roman Catholic relic, and so as Protestants, we don't even bother with this sort of thing. But he started telling me about it, so I started to research it a bit more. And there wasn't any real aha moment about it, but there's actually been a lot of several aha moments. Uh, ones that made me realize that this thing is got to be real. Uh, there's no other explanation for it. And uh, so I'm now uh, working on uh, considering not just the scientific evidence related to the shroud, But also the biblical evidence related to the shroud. There's in the Gospel of John. There's some people say that the shroud has never been uh, talked about in the Gospels, and the image has never been talked about. But I believe John provides us very you know strong evidence that he knew the image was there. So, um, so. But in on the other side, (laughs) what I what I do most of the time here is I actually study sexual reproduction in insects. So that's a bit different to studying the Shroud.
0: Indeed, but do you employ the same scientific rigor in yes. your research of the Shroud that you do uh, when you were dealing with uh, the, the reproduction of uh, fruit yeah, flies or what, def- what have you?
1: Definitely. Uh, the, the, um, the science associated with the Shroud shows beyond any reasonable doubt that this is authentic.
0: What it's does that mean though authentic it authentic could mean a number of things it could mean yes, yes it's a it's a crucif- it's a victim of a Roman crucifixion uh, somehow those the stain from that body got on the yeah. shroud it could mean a number of things
1: okay well what authentic means is that it is the result of a resurrection event
0: scientifically there is no question there's no
1: question now. The problem but is... What is a that, resurrection what, event? That's... What? That's right. Now you start to get into theology. Now you start to get into religion. And scientists have a hard time dealing with religion. But they fail to realize that their entire science is religious in nature. And that's why I wrote the book, Rescuing Science from Preconceived Beliefs. Because there's so much in science that people believe to be real but isn't real. It's simply an interpretation of the facts.
0: But, uh, Gary, if a scientist were to be open-minded and examine yes. this, yes. based on our understanding of the known universe and the laws of the universe, wouldn't uh-huh. a scientist have to arrive at the conclusion that, okay, there's no way I can I can prove that this is a fake... However, how the image got in there has to remain undetermined, undetermined origin. Wouldn't that be as far as a scientist could go?
1: Uh, No, scientists go a lot further than that because many scientists believe in evolution, and evolution has no proof either.
0: All right, we will come back. (laughs) Okay, that's another show, my friend. That is another show, and I will have you back with that one, too. The Shroud of Turin, the most studied, remarkable, Relic in Human History. Back with more on the Shroud of Turin and my conversation with Gary Chang. Stay with us. You're listening to the Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. The Shroud of Turin. Gary Chang is with us. Rescuing science from preconceived beliefs, and uh, we're talking about um, religious beliefs at the interface of science, science and faith, as it relates to the Shroud of Turin. Um, let's uh, let's go back to this resurrection event. You, you're convinced that the only way that image, which appears to be that of a crucified, male, yeah. Uh, first century A.D. male. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only way that image got on there was from a resurrection event. Are we talking about some sort of radiation uh, that, uh, that, that did this? Yeah,
1: that would be some sort of radiation. It probably not a radiation that we are familiar with now because it did not completely burn the shroud. It left a very uh, clear image of just the surface. And so it's we're not looking at the sort of radiation that uh we uh you know associated with things like uh the nuclear bomb or something. Uh a group in Italy most recently they believe that the best explanation is a immense uh burst of uh light. So uh that's the closest we've gotten so far to a scientific explanation of what might have caused that image on flaw.
0: But not not uh, just uh, any source of light. This would have to be, what, br- several times brighter than the sun, I think I've read?
1: Well, that's what they claim. Again, we're looking at it based on our understanding of the physical universe. But if this is real, and I believe it is real, this is more than just the physical universe. This is the spiritual in- universe coming together with the physical universe. And we have lots of... Uh, Reports in Scripture, when God appears, there's always a light of some sort. You know, He appeared to uh, Moses as a burning bush. Uh, he appeared to the Israelites as a, uh, you know, a pillar of fire. Um, so, so light somehow is a response to the spiritual world coming into one with the physical world.
0: And very quickly, I want to get to the calls here. Uh, people are lining up, but I have to ask you this: the, There's something else very intriguing about the image. It's mm-hmm. not It's not a, 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 a just a two-dimensional image. The image yeah. contains something called distance coding. Explain.
1: Yes. Well, at, uh, when the carbon-14 dating came out, we just backtracked a bit. When the carbon-14 dating came out, that was the first scientific evidence to suggest that the shroud was a forgery. When that came out, then people started to think that maybe it's not a painting. Maybe it really is a photograph. And they started to devise methods that, photographic methods that might have been used by people back in medieval Europe in order to create this sort of thing. But even if they were to create a photographic image as we can create a photographic image, our technology has advanced to the point that we know that the shroud, the image on the shroud is far more than just a photographic negative it has imprinted in it as you would as you can consider it has imprinted in it computer information that gives to it a three-dimensional appearance something that a two-dimensional photograph will not do so again where every time we think we've got it as our technology advances it tells us even more
0: and uh, and very quickly we should point out the the uh radiocarbon uh test concluded yes. that the linen cloth dates back to somewhere in the f- mid-14th century, yes. which mm-hmm. would preclude it from being the actual burial cloth of Jesus Christ who died that's, somewhere in the first century A.D.
1: That's right. But I have in my hands here a paper written by Raymond Rogers, and Raymond Rogers was head of the STIRP team, that were the group of Americans that looked at the shroud in 1978. He was convinced that it was real. Then when the carbon-14 dating came out in 1988, he was one of the people who were totally shocked and just threw the shroud out and said it had to be a forgery. But he wrote a paper later on in, uh, dated 2005 where he clearly has shown, and there was somebody else who, who, uh, who, uh, indicated this to him and he had all the, all the materials to do the tests on, and he clearly shown that the radiocarbon date was not valid to determine the true age of the shroud because it was not taken from a piece of the shroud that was actually the original linen. It was taken from a repaired patch that was repaired in medieval Europe.
0: All right. To the phones we go. And uh, Keith, I believe, is up first. He is in Rochester. Hello, Keith. Welcome to The Conspiracy Show. Yes, several questions. I've never heard it asked. If for any reason, whatever reason, the Romans had burned completely Jesus' body, how would that have affected Christian theology? On the third day when the stone was rolled away, uh, people say that Christ is the actual Son of God. Uh, would the body have uh, miraculously been transformed back into physical form? But I'm asking, uh, sincerely, if the body had been reduced to ashes, how would uh, that have figured into Christian belief? It's an interesting question, although I don't know how it applies to what we're talking about uh, now, the Shroud of Turin. I mean, even if, you, uh, even if you take this question as to whether Jesus was the Son of God or not, out of the equation, we still have this remarkable relic which contains evidence of some sort of a resurrection. However, having said that, uh, uh, Gary Chang, do you want to have a go at uh, Keith's interesting question?
1: Uh, interesting question, but uh, totally not applicable.
0: Yes, whether he was... You know what, maybe we can uh, we can save that so, for another show, Keith. Uh, mm-hmm. It is an interesting question, but it doesn't relate to the Shroud of Turin, this artifact that we're discussing. Let's say hi to Joe in... Is it New York City, Joe? Hello. Hi, Joe. Are you in New York City? Uh, Lackawanna. Lackawanna. Okay. Thank you, and welcome. Go ahead. Oh, uh, yeah.
1: A comment about uh, being authentic is, in Latin, they would say, Rex Christie, Gary, Sepultura, uh, post Obitum Imagio. Resurrectio lux passio. Light passed through that when he was resurrected.
0: Your Latin is most impressive, Joe. So any other, th- any other <laughs> thoughts uh, aside from that? <laughs> You're saying light passed through the shroud. That is right, yes. Well, did it, did it pass through the shroud, or did it emanate from this, the core of the body itself, uh, Gary Chang?
1: Well, it probably emanated from every molecule that was on the body, but it would not have been a very strong one because it only uh traveled a very short distance
0: uh but but the the light source had to have been from within not without
1: it had to have been from within not without
0: and and is is it that fact that leads you to the conclusion that it was a resurrection event yes. Because what else would account for a light source from within emanating from That's every right. molecule of the human body?
1: That's right, yeah. And I, and the, now you do have my book, uh, yes. Rescuing Science. Uh, the chapter on the shroud is, I believe, chapter 6. But if you go to the last chapter, I actually give a theological and scientific explanation as to why there would have been light. And it actually goes back to having to believe that Adam and Eve were real people. So it's, it it ties together the entire uh, Bible from the beginning to the end.
0: All right, and um, but that's, an, that's a, that will
1: take way too long to explain.
0: Yes, obviously. Well, we'll <laughs> leave people. Uh, all we can do uh, in this hour is is wet their appetite and uh, yeah. uh, lead them to investigate further. So the other interesting thing about this distance coding information. Mm -hmm. is, now correct me if I'm wrong, but I've heard from a number of sources, and again, these are men of science, doctors, Mm -hmm. doctors of medicine and so forth, Mm -hmm. who have said that upon examining the image on the shroud, they were left to conclude that the image was transferred to the linen while the body was essentially uh, levitating in a a vertical position.
1: Yes, I've heard of that. But I'm not to me that's um, that is a possibility. Uh but we don't know what exactly happens when the uh supernatural comes in contact
0: with the natural. In other words, during the resurrection, they've concluded <laughs> the body inside the shroud would have been hovering, but yeah. in a vertical position.
1: Now, they claim that because of the way the image is placed on both the front and the back, uh, of the body onto the shroud, they feel that maybe it could not have, the body could not have been lying flat. It had to be somewhat, uh, a distance away from it.
0: Yes, for but example, we, if it was on a slab, you would have expected yeah. some distortion in the buttocks and then, but then the back of the, of the legs. But one of
1: the, yeah, but one of the problems we have with this is that we're dealing with an area of science and technology that we are just beginning to explore. And it could be that the way the image was created uh, by a technology we don't know could have produced that effect and it could have still been lying against the body.
0: A quick question, and I think I asked you when we met face-to-face, uh, and this, again, coming from someone who is uh, absolutely uh, yes. fascinated by the shroud. Um, that is what, what has been raised, I think it's a legitimate question, and that is mm-hmm. the length of hair. Uh, yeah. If it was Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. um, would he have had? This is a, this is an age old debate. Would he have had long hair? We hear that uh, the, the typical, um, um, Hebraic male kept mm-hmm. kept his hair short. And then we have uh, Paul's letter, I believe, to the Corinthians, in which he is basically calling men wearing long hair an abomination.
1: Yeah. yeah. Well, I think one of the problems we have is that we're confusing our cultures. And uh, from what I have heard is that uh, the Semitic at that time, the Jewish uh, rabbis, and he would have been considered a rabbi,
0: had long hair. The other thing is the figure on the, uh, the, the image on the uh, cloth is, mm-hmm. is quite tall, somewhere around six foot.
1: Well, it's under six foot. Uh, and also you have to keep in mind distortion as a result of stretching. Uh, so it's probably anywhere between, uh, five, seven to
0: six feet. Five, seven to six feet. Interesting. Yep. Okay.
1: So, I mean, people seem to think, you know, that people were shorter back then. That is a, uh, urban myth. I don't know. I mean, I am a biologist. Uh, I, you, uh, people have not changed since we were first created. Uh, our statute depends on our heredity, depends on our environment, depends on what we eat. Um, people could have been 5'8", could have been 6'2". Uh, some people claim that this person was too tall. Oh yeah, <laughs> that's pulling at straws.
0: Uh, Gary, when you lecture and you bring your replica of the Shroud with you, how do people mm. react, uh, people that uh, maybe that go to your lectures and are, and are somewhat skeptical?
1: Um, The skeptics are always convinced. I have never had a skeptic not convinced. Other people just don't care to look at it.
0: You mean the skeptics come and they are convinced after they hear your lecture and see the shroud that it is the authentic burial cloth of Christ?
1: Not only are they convinced, I see some of them undergoing very powerful emotional uh, experiences. It is a powerful statement. It is the gospel... In uh, cons- condense within a single picture, when you see this and you realize that this was the God who died for you, what else can you do but bow down and worship?
0: That's a pretty powerful statement coming from a man of science, Gary. A real pleasure. Well, thank you, Richard. Love to have you back on, and we'll uh, and we'll discuss evolution versus creation. Okay. Bye-bye. If we can find someone willing to debate you, because that's a (laughs) rare breed, as you know. (laughs) Yeah. Gary Chang, ladies and gentlemen, thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You can find out everything you need to know about the conspiracy show. Upcoming shows, past shows, there's even a book club at the website. Jot it down. Put it on your fridge. www.richardserrett.com.